Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubic. We're going to finish up Vintage Church today. The Vintage Church teaching series. If you're just now joining us for this series, I would recommend and suggest that you go to SoundCloud or YouTube, search Launch Point Church and look for this series. Because in this series, we've tried to ask a very simple question. And that is, how was the vintage church, the early church, the first century church, so powerful? But I started thinking about that last week, and I think I told you guys this last week. It's not that they're not, or that they had more power than we have. They utilized the power that they had more than we do. So the question should be, how do we utilize the power that's been available both to us and the vintage church? And we've talked about everything over nine lessons that I think the vintage church was doing to demonstrate the power of God that for some reason the modern culturally based church has stripped itself of. First of that message, the most primary message, the most significant message in the series was that they preached Christ and Him crucified. Without Jesus, we got nothing. That's Lebanese, but that's as close as I can get to proper English. Without Jesus, we got nothing. And because of Jesus, we have a hope, and we talked about that. Because of Jesus, we ought to be people of worship, and we've talked about that. Because of Jesus, I want to talk about what we're talking about today. We must be an outreach church. The vintage church, the early church, was an outreach church. To say outreach means to literally reach out beyond the walls of their facility. To meet people where they were with the gospel message of Jesus. We need to come to church for the purpose of equipping. And then take that equipping and take it to the world so that others might know Him. Now I'm not telling you don't bring your lost friends to church. You should if you feel so inclined. They're going to hear the gospel here. But the primary function of the church is to equip the saints to the glorification of God so that they can then be empowered to lift one another up and take the message of the gospel into our community, into our homes, into our marketplaces, into our jobs. This is our responsibility to be an outreach church. And we have grown so comfortable. And when I say we, I mean the church as a whole. I'm about to run up and down the stage. Y'all going to have to hold on to me for a second. And we have become so determined over the last couple of centuries to just say, you know what, that's pastor's problem. Let me invite you to my church, my pastor, talk to you about Jesus. And I will. Bring them, I'll tell them about Jesus. But can I submit this to you? That you've been equipped to do it? I had a guy tell me one time he invited someone to church. He's talking to the guy about church. They're having this conversation. And the guy asked me, he said, why don't you invite me to Jesus? He said, well, how am I going to grow the church if I don't invite people to church? 
God grows his church. You know how God grows his church? By the declaration of the gospel. By a people willing and set with a heart towards outreach. To reach out beyond themselves, their comfort, their normal commonplace habits. This is what God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to be. Instead of inviting people to church, how about we invite people to Jesus? Because let me tell you, I'll tell you from personal experience and from the testimony of many, many, that once they grab a hold of Jesus, they will have a passion for his church. We're putting the cart before the horse. I want you to come get a passion for the church. And then maybe somewhere down the road you'd like to meet Jesus. And if that's how it happens, that's fine. But our responsibility is to tell them about Jesus, that God grow their heart for the church, not the church, specifically Launch Point Church, or as we're praying over Shop Springs Church, not specifically that church, but the church. This church has determined itself from day one to be a kingdom-minded church. I don't care where you go to church. I'd prefer it be here because I love you. As long as where you're going, they're proclaiming rightfully and boldly the gospel message of Jesus and equipping you to do the same to the people around you. This is our responsibility to equip. That's what the Bible says, Ephesians 4.12. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Now that happens as we're equipped. We must be people of outreach. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How can you declare the name of someone that you don't know? How will you believe in Him whom they have not heard? Because faith comes by what? By hearing. And how will they hear without a preacher? And I know some people, and I used to do the same thing, immediately wash my hands. I'm all, oh, okay, well, whew. praise God he said preacher at the end, because I'm not a preacher. Except that you are. Because if you'll look up that word, it's not talking about vocational ministry. It's talking about a public herald, a proclaimer of the truth. How will they know if no one tells them? How will they believe without a preacher? It's our responsibility to be equipped and to be that herald. Let's do that. Because souls are at stake. I don't want to be melodramatic or overly dramatic. I'm just telling you the truth. Souls are at stake. I don't know how many of you have made a confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior Lord first and then Savior because he can't be one until he's the other but if you've made that declaration and then kept that information to yourself and not been an out, a person of outreach willing to tell the gospel I'm going to submit to you something that's very harsh or it's going to come off harsh I want you to hear my heart you're one of the worst people on earth because you hold this beautiful thing within your grasp that is Christ Jesus you know the way to joy you know the way to peace you know the way to love 
you know that you're going to spend eternity in the presence of God that is so incredibly loved that heaven needs no source of light except for him. And we don't tell anybody about it. If you saw somebody starving to death and you had four sandwiches, would you give at least one of them to them? How much more important is the gospel? Because souls are at stake. There was a guy I asked one time, had a particularly heavy heart for outreach. He, everything he did was focused around who he could reach today. He made the prayer at the beginning of every day, God, give me eyes to see them. He got asked by a fellow one time, he said, he said, do you enjoy doing that? Do you enjoy outreach? And the guy looked at him and he said, enjoy outreach? No, I don't enjoy outreach. Y'all expect me to say yes. He said, no, I don't enjoy outreach. I don't enjoy being publicly ridiculed or avoided. I don't love people talking behind my back because I know they do. But I do it because God said go. And because God said go, I go. And my love for God and my love for people compels me to go. And this should be the church. This was the vintage church. They understood God told them to go and they went. In preparation for this lesson, I read the book of Acts over three times in the last couple weeks, two weeks which isn't really that big a deal. I didn't study the commas and all the stuff. I just I didn't do any Greek study in the words. I just read it from front to back to try to identify different places where God added to his church. And I found 22 instances. There's probably more than that. It was a pretty cursory read. But I found at least 22 instances where God added to his church. It says... God added to their number. 3,000 were added. 5,000 were added. This many believed. God added. There was a singular addition. Sometimes there was multiple additions. Sometimes there was the 5,000. But there are three things that all 22 of these things had in common. Before I tell you what they are, can I ask you a question? Do you want to know? Because I feel like sometimes I come up here and I talk and I'm not sure you even want the information I'm giving you. Do you want to know how to reach people for Jesus? Do you want to know how to add to Christ's church? Because we can if we'll look at these commonalities in the book of Acts. The first one and the one I'm going to spend the most time on is that they were willing to make a bold Spirit-filled declaration of the truth. They were willing to make a bold, Spirit-filled declaration of the truth. We live in a world that wants to beat the Christian down every time he opens his mouth. We need boldness. We need to be able to stand confidently, convictionally, with both feet on the ground, our spine straight and our shoulders back, and declare the truth in a world that is so bent on to destroying it or creating a new truth. There is no new truth. I know that's probably a surprise to some, 
But there's no new truth. The truth is Christ Jesus. That's the only truth that we have. But it's hard in a world that's set to persecute you, which we're going to talk about all these things, to stand boldly and confidently and, and declare the truth. Paul knew how hard this was. Paul, of all people, as bold as he was, recognized his need for boldness. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 usually gets love, most of its love from the armor of God. Everybody goes to chapter 6 to discuss the armor of God. And the armor of God is important. But let me tell you, you need boldness to walk in that armor. i got 20 years of law enforcement experience. I've got all the cool paraphernalia that comes with 20 years of law enforcement experience. I got combat boots, I got holsters, I got guns, I got a couple rifles, I've got a helmet, I've got a tack vest with all these cool things on it. When I put it on, I look pretty I look pretty good. Look pretty tough. But let me tell you, as tough as I look, if I don't move in boldness and just decide to sit on my couch with all that stuff on, I'm affecting nothing. So it's, a, it's incredible to me that after he said put on the armor of God he asked himself that they pray for him. In verse 19 he says and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Literally he was a prisoner while writing this letter. While I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And that's a prayer we should make every day. God, give me boldness. Give me strength. Give me courage to declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Why is it a mystery? Because I can't understand it. All I do, all I can do is walk in faith that is true, that God, for whatever reason, decided to cast His love on me. And who am I to do anything other than stand convictually on that truth? So we, they made a bold declaration. Throughout Scripture, in the book of Acts, you'll see one bold thing after another. You see Peter over and over again. Before Jesus is death he was a he was a loud mouth bully slash coward however that happened I mean I relate to Peter you're all how do you relate to Peter being a coward man you're always up there telling us something about Jesus this is the most comfortable place I tell you about I could tell somebody about Jesus When I walk through the Walmart and I see somebody that you just know because your spirit led that they need Jesus to walk up to them and start a conversation that starts with, hey, how are you? And they give you the answer, I'm good. And you have the boldness to say, are you? Ask that, ask that question the second time and they'll almost always tell you the second time the truth. But it's like anything else. You walk past somebody in the store and you're all, what's up? What's up? My granddaddy used to have this thing. He'd sit in a restaurant and a lady would come by or the guy or the waiter or waitress would come by 
and say, hey, how you doing? And my grandfather would just, first thing out of his mouth, I'm horrible. And they'd be, all right, what can I get for your order? People aren't used to you listening to them. It takes boldness to listen to them because it takes boldness to respond to what they say. And we do those things as the early church did them while walking in the Spirit. That is, in submission and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that I've, I've even from up here on the platform, I know you all think this is impossible. You're a perfect pastor. What I'm about to tell you actually is true. There are times, man, when I'm, I'm flowing in the Spirit. I've, I feel like God's leading me and I'm saying exactly what's supposed to be said and then there's times I trip up getting my flesh come out from underneath that submission I say or do something stupid. And then God just, God pricks my spirit and I fall back into submission. If you want to be an outreach church, if you want to be an outreach people, you have to be willing to be bold enough to have conversations with people and submissive enough for the Holy Spirit to lead you. That's why the Spirit came. It's one of the reasons why the Spirit came. According to Acts 1, 5, and 8, Jesus said, wait. And then in 8, he said, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I walk boldly, but in submission. It's kind of like going into the throne room of grace confidently, but not arrogantly. Boldly, but under submission. And they told the truth. They told the truth. And what I, I, what I don't mean is they weren't liars. I don't mean that. I mean, they told the truth that the only way to eternity is Christ Jesus. Regardless of who was standing against them, the same Peter that I told you a moment ago was a weird, coward, arrogant rebel. The same Peter that shrunk back three times on the day Jesus was crucified and said, no, I didn't know him. When filled with the Spirit, was able to make a declaration of the truth to the same people that killed Jesus. Man, that's incredible to me. But he didn't just make a declaration to them. Peter didn't just make a declaration to them. After having been imprisoned, 5,000 people were added to the kingdom. That was his second sermon in chapter 4. 5,000 people added. They put him in prison. They pull him out and they put him in front of the council. That is literally the same people that killed Jesus. And they told him, we told you to not preach in the name of Jesus. And this is his emboldened, spirit-led response. Whatever or whether it is right in the sight of God, you be the judge. For we cannot speak, stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Man, that's powerful. 
He was bold, spirit-led, and declared the truth. What is this thing that he couldn't stop talking about? This thing he couldn't stop talking about? The thing that he had seen and heard? Listen to me, this is important. This is the most important part. Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He said so himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. You can't get saved without a declaration of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm going to get to that in just a few moments. Peter himself said in chapter 4, that second time he preached, right before he got put in prison, he said, and there is salvation in no one else. I want you to grab a hold of that. There's nothing on this earth that can save you except for Christ Jesus. There's nothing on earth that can hold you up, dig you up out of the dirt and the funk that you were in except Christ Jesus. And the world is dying because we refuse to tell them. I'm reminded of Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah, right? If you don't, he ran from the calling of God, got on a boat, went down into the hole and fell asleep. God sends a storm. The, the sailors, and I'm paraphrasing hugely, the sailors kind of all go to their gods, their small g gods, does no good. They go down to Jonah and said, tell us about your God. And Jonah got up and told them why what was happening to them was happening to them. And then he told them boldly, just throw me in the ocean, everything's going to be okay. Why, do, why does this remind me of Jonah? Because we've stopped telling people the truth. The world is dying for the truth and we're asleep in the hole. The world is in a storm, tossed to and fro. And we hold the truth and are asleep in the hole. The world is destroying itself and we're asleep in the hole. We have to be willing to tell them the truth. It doesn't matter what it costs us. Because at the end of the day, our life is but a fleeting moment. Amen? So what does this truth look like? I told you a little while ago, I said, this is the equipping place. And so I want to equip you. If, you're, if this is your first time at the church, or if you've been here a couple times, you may not have heard this, but I have given this, what I'm about to say, to the church about once a month since we started, because I think this should be an equipping place. How many of you guys have said, man, I'd tell people about Jesus, but I'm afraid I'll mess it up, or I ain't living right myself? You know, I, let me give you a secret. Ain't none of us perfect. All of us are being made perfect in Christ Jesus. Did you hear me? Don't let your shame exclude you from telling the truth to somebody. Matter of fact, don't let shame encompass you. Jesus Christ died for you so that you wouldn't have it. That's kind of side point. Maybe that was for somebody specific. I want to give you three verses for the people that say, I would tell people about Jesus, but it freaks me out. I don't want to mess it up. And these verses are very simple. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Listen to me. Did you hear that? 
who sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. The person to your right, the person to your left is no better than you are. They're no worse than you are unless they don't know Jesus. But if they know Jesus, all of us have sinned. And even those that do, don't know Jesus, all of us have sinned. And so not only is there a, a, a reason as to why we're in the condition that we're in, a reason why we need Jesus, it gives us a reason why we should walk in humility when telling other people about who Jesus is. Because they aren't any better than we were before we found out. They were dead in their sins just the same as we were dead in ours. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We got a sin problem. And only Jesus can solve that sin problem. It's the reason He went to the cross. It's the reason why He allowed 39 stripes on His back. It's the reason why His beard was plucked out and He was beat by a cohort of Roman soldiers. It's the reason why they put the purple sash on Him and blasphemed against Him. It's the reason why they beat Him. It's the reason why they placed a spear in His side and nailed Him at His hands and His feet. To take on the wrath of God so that we could be set free from the wrath of God. And all of us still walking around. What's the word I'm looking for? Ashamed. Don't be ashamed to be repentant. Submit yourself before a God that loved you enough. Recognizing that you were sin, that you are sinful, and that you deserve death, that you couldn't pay for your own debt. Send his son Jesus Christ to pay that debt for you. So the first verse is Romans 3.23. The second verse, if the first one's the problem, the second verse is the solution. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 trying to equip you next time you get into a position to where you get an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus Romans 3.23 you got a sin problem but God sent his son Jesus to be the solution to that problem because had he not done it according to a couple verses below that you were judged already you were already going to hell but he decided to love you enough to send his son Jesus so that through a proclamation you might be saved who Whosoever. So I've got a problem. And I've got a promise. All I need now is how do I grab a hold of that promise? Romans 9.10 or 10.9. Romans 10.9 says this. Declare with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you shall be saved. Girl, that's too simple. It's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't matter if you think it's simple. Let me ask you, well, if you say that's too simple, let me ask you to explain it. From a position of education, explain to me why God would love you. Why he would love you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. Why he didn't send you to hell where you deserve to be. Explain that to me. 
And since you can't, instead of critiquing it for being too simple, how about we praise God that it's simple? The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. What what if they don't respond? What if they don't give their life to the Lord? Just water the ground. What if it doesn't come up seed? Or what if it doesn't come up a plant? Just put the seed in the ground. What if it's not producing fruit? Just tend to the vine. It's God's fruits, God's problems. You're responsible for the message. A bold, spirit-filled declaration of the truth, which is Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, people aren't going to like that. So there's another commonality that you see again and again in the book of Acts. Because they made a bold, spirit-filled declaration of the truth, they expected persecution and received it. People don't like for other people to tell them they're wrong or they're messed up. The world's coming against the truth right now. Did you know that? Did you know that they just soon, they'll tell you, I don't have anything against a Christian until a Christian tells them the truth, and then they become vehemently opposed to that. Expect persecution. Expect that people are going to not like you, that they may avoid you. But that's okay because Jesus is more important. The message is more important. If you don't like me, I'm, I, I wish that you did. I'm not going to tell you I, I'm glad you don't. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to... I'm not going to try to convince you to like me over Jesus because Jesus is the only way to an eternity for you. And when you make that kind of declaration, people don't like it because it makes them uncomfortable. It forces them to a place where they have to make a decision. Am I going to still live in this or am I going to follow this way? Paul talks about the persecution that he received. In 1 Corinthians. And he's, he goes through some wild stuff. He said, I was beaten, left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked three times. I think three times. Had 39 lashings three times. The same stripes they gave Jesus, they gave Paul three times. Beat him, left him for dead, drug him out in the city. Was in the deep, which means afloat at the sea, probably because one of the shipwrecks for a night and a half spent years in prison as he wrote the prison epistles because he was so willing to tell the truth and not be compromising because he thought reaching out to people that didn't know was more important than his own comfort I believe it's Felix I could be wrong but Felix when questioning him looked at him and said had he not or the people around him said had he not asked to go to Rome I'd let him go right now. I'd cut him loose right now. But Paul accepted the persecution, knowing that because he was going to Rome, he'd be able to tell people about Jesus. And Jesus must be more important. We think we got it rough, man. It's not Persecution's not hard in America. Somebody's going to say something ugly to you. Somebody might punch you in the mouth. I've been punching them out before. But let me tell you, in the Middle East, 
They're cutting people's heads off. And they're still telling the truth. There's a missionary, as you well know, that we support in the Middle East that was pastoring in his home. And this missionary, or this, I say missionary, he's missionary, that we support him as a missionary. As he's pastoring in his home, because you can't proclaim publicly there, a Muslim comes in with a handheld sickle and attacks him with it. He's got cuts all over his hands from defensive wounds. And the guy stabs him, cuts into him, and then tears away the flesh all the way across his side, getting into his organs. Because he was telling the truth. Praise God, he went to the hospital, healed, and is still telling the truth. Let me tell you, that didn't stop him. He was home, he was perfectly healthy until last week. Last week he was driving because the truth is more important than our comfort. He was riding his bicycle from one town to the next town to proclaim the gospel to some people in that community. And it's believed that a Muslim intentionally ran him and his son who was on the bike with him over with their coat. Messed up, his, messed up his leg pretty significantly, broke his son's arm. But you know what he's going to do? You know what he's doing today? Today he's limping into his home church. Today he's telling somebody about Jesus. Today he's glorifying God for his ability to suffer so that God may be glorified. They accepted persecution because they were willing to tell the truth. Can we be that church? It's easy to say yes in here. But if I turned the air conditioning off for two months in the middle of the summer, would you still be here at the end of those two months? Ain't nobody coming here to cut your head off. But maybe I just, I'm not comfortable. Or the crowd dwindles because it's raining outside. Muslim brothers getting stabbed in his palm, getting run over by a car. While Muslims are all over the world are being, or Christians in Muslim countries all over the world are being burned alive. There's a story. I don't see any real young kids in here. There's a story of a mission of a pastor in China pastoring his church, minding his own business. And the military came in and drug him out of the church. And they told his congregation, refuse Christ or we're going to kill your pastor. And he, he pled with them, don't do it. And so the military forced everyone to urinate in a bucket. And they drowned him in the urine of his congregation. that church doubled in persecution. I don't mean to be gross, but we got to be willing. I need you to make that decision now because that kind of persecution is likely coming. Are you ready for that kind of persecution? Are you ready for that kind of suffering? I am.
because the Bible tells me my life is but a vapor and then eternity with God. I don't want anybody I know to miss out. I don't want anybody I know to suffer because I was unwilling to tell them or to tell them the truth. There's a story, an illustration, if you will. It's an illustration, it's not a story. Of a guy watching another guy in hell standing next to an angel. And the guy walks, and he's walking on the shoulders of all of these people in hell. And he'll grabs one by the head and he jerks his head back. And he looks at him. And then he puts the head back down. Then he goes to the next one. He snatches him by his hair and pulls his head back. And he looks at him. He does this four or five times before the guy asks the angel standing next to him. He said, what's he doing? He said, he's looking for the pastor that didn't tell him the truth. He's looking for the friend that didn't tell him the truth. He's looking for the family member that didn't tell him the truth. Are you willing to keep the truth to yourself and cause someone else to suffer for eternity? There's a third thing, and this will be real fast. There's a third thing that that church did, the early church did. And that is, I've got my notes all jacked up here. Anyway, they were willing to meet them where they were. They were willing to meet them where they were. They didn't care where they met them geographically. According to the book of Acts, they met them in a marketplace. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, they met them in their community. They met them at the Gate Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. They met them anywhere someone was willing to freely declare. People were added according to Acts 9, 31. On Mars Hill, even there where the intellectuals came to debate, a large number were added. I can't, I can't find anywhere. I can't find anywhere where the early church grew in the church. The early church grew in the community, in the marketplace, in the prisons, in the synagogues. In the instance of the eunuch and Philip, out in the middle of nowhere, willing to meet them where they are and introduce them to Jesus Lane told me several years ago we were having one of our first leadership meetings I was talking to the church the leaders about how it's our responsibility to meet them where they are doesn't matter what they look like what they act like what their past is what their doesn't matter any of that their race their socioeconomic status God send us the this was just the prayer we made. The whoremongers, the drug addicts, the adulterers. Send us everyone that the world doesn't want. We'll love them. And Lane kind of raised his hand. He goes, you know, if you, if you ask for those people, God's going to send those people. And they're going to smell like those people smell. And they're going to look like those people look. And that's okay. 
because Jesus didn't care what race you were. Jesus didn't care how much money you had. Jesus didn't care anything about your future or anything about your past except for which pieces he could use to declare your future to you. I, I love that this church is willing to meet people where they are. I love that I've seen people pray for other people in a parking lot. That I've seen people reach out to people in the Walmart. I love that on a Wednesday night one night, a guy comes in here stumbling drunk, wanting 20 bucks. And I told him, I said, I'll give you 20 bucks out of my own pocket, but you got to stay for service. He stayed. Five minutes into the surface, service, he was stretched out on the front row, passed out. I love that he felt comfortable enough in the house of God and that no one drug him out of here. That the people loved him enough to allow him the one place where he could find peace. Because when that service was over, I was able to tell him about Jesus. I praise God that this church reaches people that, that need to be reached regardless of what they look like. There was a young man and I know I'm going on, but I want you to have the same heart that I have because I believe in regards to the loss, it's the same heart that Jesus had. There was a man who came to our service one day and he left, tattooed literally from his jawline to at least his waist. He had been shot several times by the police in the past, had a criminal history, was a drug addict. He left here and was gonna go kill himself. I typically make it a point to stay for a little while after service. He got down to the bridge down here and turned around and came back. I was still here. The door was open. He walked in. He and I started talking. He was leaving to kill himself, went to the bridge, got underneath the bridge where the creek runs, and there was a gentleman fishing with his son. He said, man, if I could just have a relationship like that. And something, God, moved something inside of him to come back here. And he came back here after everyone was gone, gave his life to the Lord, got baptized in that pool, and was taken, praise God, it was taken the next, it was either that day or the next day, to a rehab clinic where he was made clean. This is the church. This is the responsibility of the church. To be more concerned with what's happening outside than what's happening inside. Let this be a place for equipping, but equipping for the sake of personal outreach. Every one of us has a time when we could have used someone to love us outside of this wall. I have. My prayer today as we close the Vintage Church is really a prayer slash challenge that God give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hands and feet to move towards the people that need Jesus. Amen.